And good morning. As I was preparing for this sermon, several thoughts came to mind. And the one that really solidified in my prayers and in my devotion and in my reflection upon the text was this central thought that I want to grow as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need him. And my heart's desire is to grow closer in my relationship with God and to attain a deeper understanding of him, to be faithful and to demonstrate my unqualified trust in him by my obedience and by my service. I want to grow spiritually. And the truth is, beloved, as we gather here today, we could spend a lifetime reading God's word and never exhaust the wealth of its wisdom, its instruction, and the truths regarding the character, the attributes, and God's plan. We could never exhaust it. The Apostle Paul, in writing to these new converts in the city of Colossae, we're reminded that he never met them. He's under house arrest, but he's heard about their repentance. He's heard about their faithfulness. He's heard that they have confessed with their own mouths that Jesus is Lord and they have accepted him as Savior and Lord. So he writes this book of Colossians as a way of encouraging them over what he has heard. And he also issues to them now several warnings. He presents these warnings to them and he says, listen, there are some enemies to your spiritual growth. You got to beware of the things that will stunt your spiritual growth. They may appear godly, they may appear wise, but they are false fruit. In your bulletin this morning, on the back page, there's a note section, but at the bottom of the note section, there are some definitions. We thought it might be helpful as we talk about these terms if we had good working definitions so we're all on the same page. Legalism, the belief that we can earn or keep God's favor by what we do rather than through God's grace. Last week, Dr. Birchie talked about legalism and he talked about the error here, how this is false in large measure because it's based on works. I'm gonna earn my way into God's favor. I'll earn my way into heaven and therefore I'm entitled to blessings and salvation because of my works. That's legalism. The other part of legalism though is that the rules, the regulations become more important than Jesus. Rules and regulations but no relationship with Jesus. In his sermon, Dr. Birchie reminded us that this lack of relationship produces a judgmental and critical attitude. People who are legalistic are constantly criticizing. Now, Paul presents this type of regulation. In fact, what he's doing here, he's really echoing what Jesus himself has said. You'll recall in Matthew 
chapter 15, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. I'm sure they sounded like that. <laughs> and Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what you might have been used to help their fathers or mothers is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Legalism, mired in man-made tradition, man-made regulation, man-made rules. Now, yes, God did give rules in the Old Testament, but in verse 17 of chapter 2, Paul explains that these rules were a shadow of things to come. I love that expression because that word shadow, a good word for us today would be like a photograph. So he's saying the rules of the Old Testament were a shadow of the things to come. What were the things to come? Christ Jesus himself. So the rules were a photograph, if you please, of what was to come. That is, Jesus was to come. So that would be like somebody asking you, do you like apple pie? And you say, yeah, I love a good apple pie. And they show you a picture of an apple pie. And then someone says, now here's an apple pie with a Dutch apple crust and just a little caramel sauce drizzled on the top with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. You've got the pie, you've got the picture. He says, it's a shadow of things to come. Legalism. Hmm. Mysticism. The belief that we can know God directly through subjective experience. What does that mean? That we can know God through subjective experience? The danger here is the belief that a person can have an intimate experience with the spiritual world completely apart from the word of God and the Holy Spirit. The false teachers in Colossae had visions and they alleged to be in communication with angels. They were bypassing the word of God and the Holy Spirit and with these communications with these spirits, what they were really doing is opening themselves up to demonic influence and to demonic forces. Satan knows how to counterfeit. I can't linger here, but we don't pray to angels. We don't worship angels. 
Now, angels are strong, but they're not all powerful. I know someone who is. His name is Jesus. Angels are intelligent, but they're not all knowing. I know someone who is. His name is Jesus. Angels are created beings. Jesus is the creator. There is no secret mystery, secret code, secret language, secret expression. Everything that God has to say, he has recorded for us in what we know as the Bible, and every believer has access to it. We need no mediator between us and God other than Christ himself. We have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of God. Scripture tells us that we may come boldly unto the throne of grace. We need no other mediator but Christ, and trying to reach God through anyone or anything other than Jesus is simply idolatry. Which brings us to asceticism. The belief that we can earn righteousness through the rigorous self-denial of bodily needs and pleasures. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would please, to Colossians chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles that's in the pew, it's on page 984. If with Christ, interesting word there, if, we'll come back to that. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they were used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Hmm. Interesting word there. That elemental spirits of the world means rudiments, the fundamentals, the ABCs of something, the rules and regulation. Asceticism falsely promises that we can attain righteousness by being religious, by self-denial, by obeying man-made regulations. And you see this manifest itself and throughout history, people who are practicing asceticism, even with issues of poverty, that the more poor I am, the less I have, the more spiritual I, I am. And because money is evil. Beloved, money is not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. There are many godly people in Scripture that had money. Abraham, Job, Solomon. Or you see asceticism reflected in how they dress. Now listen, modesty is appropriate. And we don't want to ever be consumed by fad or fashion. But we don't want to have man-made rules regarding color and type 
and size and what you wear. Some people practice asceticism by not bathing. I'm not sure I understand that. <laughs> not bathing doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you stinky. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure I get that. And then what he seems to be emphasizing in this text is diet. Yes, we want to be good stewards of our bodies, but not at the sacrifice of rules and regulations where we lose sight of what really we're good stewards of. If, that word at the first part of verse 20, this is not doubt, it's more a logical argument. A, a good translation would be sense. So what Paul is saying is not if you've died with Christ, but since you have died with Christ. Or he's saying, look, you have died with Christ. He's highlighting here the unity that believers have that we're united with Christ and our union with Christ is in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Now, yes, we are in this world physically, but we're not of the world spiritually. We've been transferred into God's kingdom and therefore we govern our lives by his laws, not the rule of man. Now hear me, this is not an invitation to lawlessness. Don't run up out of here today talking about pastor said, we don't have to obey any law. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, 1 Peter 2.11 instructs us to respect authority. The warning here for us is not so much not to be rebellious, so much as do not think you're spiritual because you obey rules and regulations that pertain to your physical body. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism. Paul here is reminding us that these things don't unify, they separate. One of the things that is the hallmark of the body of Christ is the supernatural unity that we have. As you look around the sanctuary this morning, you see people from many different nations, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different neighborhoods, different socioeconomic status, and different education, disparate to be true, but we gather here in the unity of Christ and in the unity of spirit and those divisions are broken down and we are brothers and sisters, united through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Asceticism, legalism, mysticism, they don't unify, they separate. Paul is exhorting us to be dead to the law of outward ordinances in virtue of the fact that Jesus and his resurrection, we now have a life that is hid with Christ. Romans 6.3 says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, We've been buried with him through baptism into death. So 
that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God, so we too might walk in newness of life. Or if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he has died, freed us from sin. Jesus' death on the cross and his sacrifice for our sin releases us from our previous status, if you please. We're out from under it. That's now dead to us. What he is saying in these first two verses is, why would you allow yourself to be subject to worldly principles, to man-made ideas? Why would you want to go back to a pre-Calvary status? Look again at the text. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, that is, the regulations that belong to the world, the regulations that rebel against God, you've been set free from man-made rules designed to promote spirituality. These rules like touch not any unclean thing, taste not any forbidden meat, handle not any consecrated vessels. Huh. Paul highlights the futility of the ascetic rule. God never contradicts himself when we know that these rules that he's speaking of, these regulations, they didn't come from God. They were inventions of man. The Bible tells us that God gives all things to enjoy. This is 1 Timothy 6.17. God gave food to be used, and food perishes with the using. Beloved, there's no connection between asceticism and holiness. Now, to be sure, there is a connection of discipline and health. There is a connection there. But there is no connection between asceticism and holiness. Warren Wearsby put it this way, if we deliberately abstain from some food or drink to keep from hurting a weaker brother, that is one thing. But we must not say that our abstinence makes us more spiritual than another brother who partakes of that food and gives thanks to God. Asceticism, mysticism, legalism, four false fruits are presented in these. The futility of them, the feebleness of them, where they are flawed, the false fruit, if you please. And the first one is simply false wisdom. The fear of the Lord, beloved, is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 22 in Colossians says, everything that these people were obsessed about was eventually going to decay. That shows you that it had no eternal value. These were rules were just human rules, human commands, human teachings with no eternal value whatsoever. 
They're fabricated. True wisdom is to keep close to the appointments of the gospel. True wisdom doesn't lean on the wisdom of man. Instead, true wisdom responds to God's light as revealed in his word, and it responds to God's mercy. The second false fruit is false worship. In this letter, the Holy Spirit knew that the converts in Colossae were going to be facing many religious and philosophical options, and none of these options were neutral. They all have the negative impact of stunting spiritual growth. They understood that. He understood that when he writes this. And here's the temptation with these philosophies, if you please, with the philosophy of legalism, the philosophy of mysticism, the philosophy of asceticism. Here's the temptation to try to add Jesus to what you already believe. Or you're going to factor in Jesus with a little bit of a philosophy. Or you try to include Jesus in the rituals that you practiced. Hanging dream catchers, reading your horoscope, going to see palm readers and psychics, talking to the dead, trying to weave Jesus into these things. I tell you, it won't work because if you claim, I'll use the, the I just said if we could substitute since, since you claim Jesus as Lord, since Jesus is the creator, since Jesus is the sustainer, since Jesus is the redeemer, since Jesus is God in the flesh, then that means all other teachings must give way. They are dead. And anything that distorts the gospel is dead. Anything that denies the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ is dead. Anything that is an enemy of the Bible is dead. True worship humbles us. We kneel in awe at the greatness of God. Our hearts are filled with love for God and for his people. And our wills are submitted to the purpose of God in our lives. This false worship that comes from these philosophies. The prophet Jeremiah said, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me. They've forsaken the spring of living water and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot save. False wisdom, false worship, the third, false humility. It's interesting that legalism and asceticism like an audience. Whenever you see people who are caught up in there, they want people to see what they don't do, what they obey, what they don't drink, where they don't go. They, these two things love an audience. 
Christ gave this admonition in Matthew 6. Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with sad faces, for they disfigure their face that they may be seen by men. They want to be seen by men to be fasting. Most certainly, I tell you, said Jesus, they've already received their reward. Bodily abuse, this willingness to suffer, that's not humility. Paul's point is simply this, and this is very interesting. Self-denial may limit the expression of certain kinds of sin, but the sin nature is still going to manifest itself and it will rise and it will rise as spiritual pride. Do you see this? The fact that you are saying, oh, look how humble I am. Look how much suffering I'm willing to bear. Look, look at the things that I'm giving up and you need an audience for that. That is spiritual pride. And the feigned humility that you are trying to appropriate dissipates like smoke. He's saying that asceticism reveals spiritual pride, even in your feigned humility. False hope is number four. The chapter closes with Paul refuting these false doctrines of legalism and mysticism and asceticism. Hmm. I came by this morning in large part to encourage you. The false teaching of legalism is exposed by the spiritual reality that we as believers have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The deception of mysticism is exposed by the spiritual union with Jesus as the head of the church and the futility of asceticism is exposed by our position in Christ, in his death, in his burial, and certainly in his resurrection. This chapter talks about our union with Christ, that we are united now with Christ. And what exactly does that mean? What is this union? Our union with Jesus is eternal security. When you come to saving faith, when you put your hope and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal security. And the Bible tells us that there is nothing that is able to separate the believer from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Our union with Christ gives us eternal security. Our union with Christ means fruitfulness, much fruit, according to John 15, 5. Now, this is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you have the fruit of the Spirit, we have a genuine, authentic love for God, for his word, and for his people. Dare I ask you, 
When you come into the Moody Church, do you feel loved? When we have union with Christ, we have joy. And that's different from happiness. Happy is always dependent upon a situation or a circumstance. Joy we can have in the midst of hard situations and hard circumstances. When I get up in the middle of the night to go downstairs to go to the freezer to get some chunky monkey ice cream, I'm happy. <laughs> when I open the refrigerator door and there's the chunky monkey, I'm happy. When I take the container out and it's empty and inside is a note that says we need more ice cream, I'm not happy. My happiness just went away. Happiness is always dependent upon the situation. Joy we have independent of the situation. It doesn't matter the vicissitude, the obstacle, or the problem, but when we have union with Christ, we have joy. We have peace. We're not worried about anything. I so love the invocation this morning where Pastor Stafford invokes us to not be anxious about anything, but to cast our cares and our worries and our concerns on him who is able, and that is Jesus. We have peace. We're also patient with each other. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you faithful? Are you gentle? And then here it comes. When we have union with Christ, we have self-control. The very thing that the philosophy of asceticism tries to brand, we receive with union with Christ, we have self-control. The third thing as a part of this union means that we are now equipped and endowed for service. As we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive everything that we need for daily living. We don't need to talk to spirits or angels. We need no mediator. Beloved, a true spiritual experience with the living God leads to repentance, to submission, to service. So here's the question I have for you this morning. Where is Christ in your life? Is Christ preeminent in your life? Let me ask you this. Are you growing spiritually? If you were to be honest with that question, could you say that your love for God is growing, that your knowledge of his will for your life is growing, that your knowledge of his word and your ability to, to apply it in day-to-day -day situations, are you growing spiritually? Or has your spiritual life stalled and just become a matter of, of ritual? I'm asking you plain, when you come to this place that we call the, the Moody Church, do you come with a heart that's prepared to hear God's word, not only to hear it, but to obey it? Do you come with a heart that says, let me 
broker peace today. Let me be part of the body of Christ. Let me be unified. Let me contribute to the growth and encouragement and support and the love of other people. Is that why you come? Or has it just become tradition? Something that you do on Sundays? Because you've always done it. But do you really come with the expectation of hearing the truth of God's word? The truth unless we repent, confess our sin, we won't have a relationship with God. The only way we can have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. The supernatural ability of his word is right in front of us this morning. This letter was written to people just like us many years ago, but its relevance is just as cogent in this very instant as it was when Paul sent it to Colossae. Our temptations are just as real and our propensity to drift and to be caught up in legalism, in mysticism and asceticism are real as well. Where are you this morning? Are you leaning on the wisdom of men for your day-to-day -day decisions? Are you living a lie? You know what God says, but you're in rebellion to the truth. Where are you this morning? I invite you to pray with me. If you're saved, then I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit right now has put on your heart the name of a relative that isn't saved. It could be a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew, a cousin, an aunt or an uncle. It could even be an in-law. But there is somebody that you know and you know that they're not saved. And the Lord has given you their name right now. Would you just cry out to God for mercy for that person right now? Or maybe you're in sin. I don't need to recite for you what your sin is. It's crushing your spirit. Don't leave here the way that you came in. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The Bible says if you seek him, you will find him. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, but he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If God is bringing to your thoughts now things that you've done that have displeased him, 
that are wrong in his sight. Won't you repent? Repent and confess before God. Your prayer need not be complicated. Just simply, Father, forgive me. Lord, save me. Every head's bowed, every eye is closed. This is your time with God. Father, I've said what you would have me to say. You have promised that your word will not return void and so we ask simply that it would accomplish the purpose that you have for it now. That you will encourage, equip, anoint, enable, convict, call, save. Now we do pray in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.